Hello, and welcome to the Lake Forest Church Huntersville Sermon Podcast. We are a community of skeptics, spiritual explorers, and longtime followers of Christ. To learn more about who we are as a church and how you can get connected, visit lakeforest.org. Well, good morning. Uh, My name is Jeff Cook. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, And this morning, we're continuing in a series that we've called Superlatives. And we like to have fun with stuff, but really what we're doing is we're looking at the lives of individuals from the Old Testament and seeing how faith played itself out. Uh, And seeing what God might have for us to learn from that. Now, the thing about doing a series like this is that you identify certain things that become important going forward. Um, And so what I wanted to do is actually start with just a quick recap of some of the most important things that we talked about that will really help our discussion today. So if you're someone who takes pictures of the slides, the next three are probably where you're gonna wanna take pictures. So so to start with, we talked about this word covenant, which I say a lot and I'm gonna keep saying a lot, and we said that that is basically a relationship that specifies more than what you will do, it's about who you will be. Uh, Last week we looked at the, the example of marriage as an excellent example of that kind of covenant. The second thing we identified was that a life of faith, which is what we're trying to see in these people from the Old Testament, well, it's about living into the covenant that we have with God. And that and that, that relationship we have with him, well, really, that has a lot to do with his love. And so last week, we laid heavy on the reality that God's love takes things that are ordinary and makes them extraordinary. And I pointed out that God's favorite ordinary thing to make extraordinary is you and me. That's what the covenant is. And we also said that God's love is a love that is based on the value of the lover, not the worthiness of the loved. That's the kind of love that he demonstrates. And we pointed out that that Jesus' death on the cross, well, that's an excellent example of that. And so we ended up up looking at Romans 5.8 which says, but God demonstrated his own love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So Christ dying for us, that's what allows the covenant relationship with God. And so this this one statement in scripture clearly shows that his love, God's love, it results in covenant. That's what it does. Now, I wanna add a term to our repertoire and this whole thing, and that term is the word chesed. So that, let's all, so try, don't aim your face at anyone, but everyone try and say it with me, chesed. That's pretty good. Um, so chesed is the Hebrew word for, for love, for a certain kind of love. If you were to look it up today, they'd probably define it as an altruistic kind of love. But really what it is, it is this love we've been talking about. It's not about the person receiving it. It's about the person giving it. It's based on the value of the lover, not the worthiness of the loved. And in biblical culture, were you to say chesed immediately, people would think of God's love. Not only would they think of God's love, but it would imply covenant. Because there's no way in that culture that you could have God's love and not have have covenant we tend to separate some things. So we'll separate who you are and what you do. And we're comfortable with that as a culture, right? Like maybe I lied 
but I'm not actually a liar. It's just a thing I did. But in this culture, they didn't separate like that. Like you were what you were because that's who you were. So if you lied, you were a liar. Things were connected. Action is implied. So if there's God's love, there's got to be a result. And the result is this covenant. Now, last week, we were looking at God's love as it related to this guy, Hosea, and his wife, Gomer. And we said that his wife, Gomer, was described as Gomer the prostitute. She was professionally unfaithful to their relationship. And in that, we saw the depth of God's love. Because God had had Hosea go and woo Gomer back to him, regardless of her unfaithfulness. The depth of love was so great that it didn't matter. This week, we're going to be talking about a woman named, who is referred to time and time again in Scripture as Rahab the prostitute. And again, we are going to be looking at God's love, but this week we're leaning more on the power of God's love because we're going to see what that power does in the life of Rahab. But so this would be the time to do her her superlative, which we decided Rahab would be uh, most changed since freshman year, uh, which as, as we continue talking, you'll see what I'm getting at. See, the thing is, the message can stay the same, but if the messenger changes, it adds nuance. Right? So, so the fact that it is Rahab, who we're looking at as our example, it adds to the message, but the message doesn't change. And, and I want to just spell it out for you. And so the message is this. The depth and power of God's love are not constrained by our decisions, good or bad. All we have to do to experience it and the covenant that results is let him lean in and live it out. I'm going to say that one more time. The depth and power of God's love are not constrained by our decisions, good or bad. All we have to do to experience it and the covenant that results is to let him lean in and live it out with his help. That is a basic framework that we are going to see in Rahab's experience. Now, I'm not going to read the entire account to you for sake of time, but we're looking at Joshua chapter 2. And I'll tell you that at this time, the Israelite people are still trying to get the promised land that they're meant to go to excuse me, that they're meant to go to, and Joshua is their leader. So so there's this city called Jericho, which from a military standpoint is strategically really important. It's up on a hill. It's heavily fortified. The location it's at really matters. So for the Israelite people to take Jericho, it's really going to make a huge difference. And so Joshua sends two spies to go check out the area and specifically to check out the city. He wants to know what he's walking into. He wants to be prepared for what's going to happen. And so he sends these spies, and we read in Joshua chapter 2 that these spies show up and get lodging at Rahab's house. And she is again referred to as Rahab the prostitute. So they get lodging there, and the king of Jericho finds out there's spies in the town. And so he sends men looking for him, and he knows that, that the prostitute's house would be a place that people could find lodging without much difficulty. And so he sends men to Rahab's house directly who show up and they just say to her, like, look, we know these guys are here. Where are they? And she responds by saying, yeah, they were here, 
but actually before the gates closed, they left. They went that way. If you hurry up, you can probably catch them. And so they do. And we read on to find out that Rahab actually hid these spies on the, on the roof of her house. And even though she was a citizen of Jericho, she offered welcoming, uh, welcoming hospitality to these spies and protected them. She then goes on to talk to them and say, listen, I'm gonna, I'm gonna let you out the side window so you can escape. Just wait for them to go far enough away. But please, when you guys come and take Jericho, just please have mercy on me and my family. Like, please let us survive. And she does. And so that's, that's really the only story that we get of Rahab's life. But we know that she's important because she's included in certain parts of Scripture that we know hold a lot of value. So we see the result of what she did is actually said in Hebrews 11, verse 31. It reads this way. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient. That's Jericho. Because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. Now, I need to address a couple things about Hebrews 11. Uh, to start with, and you may know this, you may not, but Hebrews 11 is a very special chapter in the Bible. People refer to it as the Hall of Faith. Uh, Hebrews was just a letter written to the Hebrew people about what it meant to have covenant and relationship through Jesus. And this particular chapter names who we will call the heroes of the faith, right? So it, it literally gives a list by faith, Abel, by faith, Enoch, by faith, Noah, and it tells what they did by faith. Now, if you've ever spoken or written anything that you wanted to communicate a point, you know that you start and you end with what you want people to remember. When we look at this list, this list of people where it talks about by faith, they did such, it, the list goes like this. I'll read it to you. It's Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, the nation of Israel, the walls of Jericho, and it ends with Rahab the prostitute. Now, he does say in that letter, and there are many more I can't even name, but the one he cho chose to end with, the one who is batting cleanup, is Rahab the prostitute. So there's something that we need to see there. The second thing I want to point out to you about that list is that it's all people right up through Moses. Like, it just gives names, you know, Abel, Noah, Isaac, Moses. And then the last three seems to make a shift where it is the nation of Israel, not the Israelite people. It's a nation. It's the walls of Jericho. It's not a person, it's a thing. The thing, the descriptor matters. And then it says Rahab, the prostitute. And so it matters that we're talking about a prostitute. We're not talking about a former prostitute that God cleaned up, trained, equipped, and released. We're just talking about Rahab, the prostitute. Because when we look for lives of faith and acts of faith, we all have our biases. We all have our images that we expect we're going to see. And God wants us to understand that, that acts of faith are about him. And he doesn't change. And that's what we need to focus on. So, so we're going to look at the interaction 
that Rahab had with these men because it gives us a framework for what entering into a, a life of faith or taking a, a leap of faith in a certain situation could look like. Now, I want to be real clear. This is not a recipe. It is never a do A, B, and C and get D because those of us who follow Jesus know that we are in relationship with a living God and it can't be that cut and dry simple. But this is a helpful framework for seeing faith play out in her life and what the results are and how that could play out in ours. So, so we're going to start in Joshua 2, verse 1. It says, And Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, Go, view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. So literally, she gets a knock on the door, two guys there. She did nothing to invite them. She did nothing to, to let people know, hey, I am a welcome home for spies. Nothing of that sort. God is the one who directed these people there. All she did was let it happen. She simply did not get in the way. I know that, that we, we tend to think of leaps of faith. We always think of these grand stories that are emotionally stirring. But the truth is, we don't usually leap into faith. We usually limp. That is, that is how it basically plays out in the little, simple things we allow God to do. It's going to sound like a stupid example, but it's too perfect. So maybe, I don't know, 20 years ago, I remember a specific instance. I'm out with my buddies, and I was upset about something, and I mean like furious about it. Don't remember what it was, uh, but I just remember I was angry. And yeah, I'll go out and hang with you guys, but I'm angry. And I'm sitting there being angry, and my buddy says something that is like genuinely gut-busting, belly-laugh funny. And for a second, my frown cracks a little bit, and I start to smile, and I'm going to laugh. And then I remember, oh, no, no, I'm angry. And I shut it down. And, I, and the reason I still remember this 20 years later is God was kind with me, and he let me see right there in that moment how stupid that is. Like, God's trying to give me freedom from my anger in this moment, and I won't let him. And I made the choice, maybe for the first time in my life, to let him do that, and I laughed. And I ended up having a great night, and it sounds like a very small and simple example, but how many times throughout the course of our day do we shut down what God wants to do because it doesn't fit with what we think it's supposed to be? And so that's what Rahab did here. Rahab let him do what he was going to do. That's God leaning in. As we, as we read on, we see that this is where the king finds out and he sends men searching for the spies. And so in, in Joshua 2, verses 4 through 6, it says, But the woman, that's Rahab, had hidden the two women, or had hidden the two men, taken the two men, and hidden them, and said, True, so she's speaking to the men looking for the spies now. True, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. 
But she had brought them up to the roof and hidden them with the stalks of flax that she had laid in order on the roof. So now she realizes what's going on. She sees that there's something happening, and she chooses at this point to lean into it. Another silly example. I've, I lived my whole life until I moved here within, say, an hour, hour and a half of the ocean. Um, most recently, be, right before I came here a few years, I was like 10 minutes from the ocean. So boogie boarding is something that I have done my whole life. It's something I enjoy, and I remember being taught when I was younger that really catching a wave is all about letting the wave take you, right? Being able to identify when that thing is coming up and having yourself in the right position and letting it take you is what really matters. But I remember when I got good at that, someone taught me that if when that happens, if you just push down on the tip of the board, you get a much better ride because then you're actually capturing all the power of the wind. And that's what Rahab is doing. Rahab realizes that the wave has taken her and she's not trying to change it. She's not trying to do it all herself. She's just pushing down on the tip of the board. She's leaning in to what God is doing. And if we think about our own lives, I know there are situations where we probably feel that sense. We feel nudged or pulled to push down on the tip of the board, and half the time we probably don't because we're afraid we're gonna go under if we do, because we think maybe we must be crazy, this couldn't actually be God active in my life. Whatever it is, we miss so many opportunities where God's leaning into us to lean back in faith and experience these things that he's meant for us to experience. And so that's what Rahab does. She leans in and she actively engages with what's happening. And the result the result of that is that she ends up living out this covenant life. Remember, covenant is about relationship. And what we've seen happen so far is God leaning in to Rahab and Rahab leaning back in to God. That's a relationship. It's covenant. And, and we also said that covenant relationship is about who each person is. Well, so when we read on, in uh, verses 8 through 11, we see Rahab starting to see who God is. It says, before the men lay down, she came to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt. And, when you, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. And this is where, this is where we see it. She says, for the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Rahab is recognizing who God is in the relationship. And she goes on in verse 12 to ask for kindness, to say, I, I see who your God is. I know who he is. I know what's going to happen. Please, would you show me kindness? And the word, the word she uses 
for kindness is chesed. She's talking about God's love. She's specifically implying covenant. So this covenantal love, right, that we defined last week and earlier today as a love that is based on the value of the lover, not the worthiness of the loved, how do you think that could affect someone who lived the life that Rahab the prostitute lived? Someone who was probably alone and neglected and abused and mistreated and left to just wander and make it on her own. How could that sense that this God she talks about who is in heaven and on earth might enter into a relationship with her. The results of that are incredible. They are extraordinary. And, and yes, we have Hebrews 11.31. That is one of the results of this experience she had. It says again, by faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to spies. So she survives. And yes, that's important, but that's not the only thing. She's cited again in James chapter 2, verse 25. Now, James, at this point in the book, is trying to talk about something most of us probably wrestle with, and it's this idea of faith versus works. So what that means is, I have my love and devotion and relationship with God, and then I have how I play that out in my life. And human beings tend to want to make how we play it out the determining factor instead of the relationship with God. That's just our tendency for most of us. And so James is addressing it in this, but he's trying to say that just because it's not dependent on what we do doesn't mean what we do doesn't matter. And so he says this, and in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute. So again, he's identifying who she was in that culture. Was she not justified by works when she received the messenger and sent them out by another way? Because you see, action, again, in that culture is implied. If there was faith, there has to be works because the two go hand in hand. Now, what I found interesting is the first part of that verse says, and in the same way. Well, in the same way as what? So if you, if you look back, a little further you see what he's referring to in the verses prior. It said, if you back up a few verses, it says, was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? When we started this series, for any of you who were with us, we identified that Abraham, Abraham is referred to as the father of our faith. So if what we're talking about is faith, and how to live it out. The fact that James would put the father of our faith compared to and on equal level with Rahab the prostitute communicates that it is the message that matters, not the messenger. And that's incredibly important for us to remember because it helps us to see that faith does not always look like we think it's gonna look. There are a lot of things in this life that I've had a particular view of. And once I got in there, I realized I had no idea. The easiest example for me is one that is, that is personal, um, and that's, that's being a foster parent. 
right? So if you're not a foster parent, um, there's a particular image that people have of that and what that looks like. Uh, my caseworker, for example, has one particular image of what I do. Uh, then there's other people who think I'm Mother Teresa. Uh, a lot of people in culture who think I'm just trying to make a buck. And, and the reality is, really all I'm doing is trying to be a dad. And, and it's, it's interesting from the outside how different an active faith can look. But I'll tell you, so in my story, we chose that, right? We, we decided we wanted to be licensed and we went into that. I have people in my immediate family who have children that they adopted because the parents couldn't, couldn't take them anymore, who were a little bit more like Rahab, not in their profession or character, but in that, in that they weren't looking for it. Like they got a phone call that said, hey, either we're dropping these kids off at your house or they're gonna get split up and we may never see them again. Or they got a phone call saying, I, I, can't, I can't care for my son anymore. Either you're gonna have to take him or I don't know where he's gonna go. And in, in all of those instances, these people in my family, man, they, they responded like Rahab. They saw that God was doing something, so they just let it happen. But once they were in it, once they realized what was going on, that God was acting in their life, they leaned in. And the results of that was covenant. Covenants are relationships that can change people's identity. And, and in every one of those cases, children's identities were changed. Those family members' identities were changed because now they are mom or dad. And it is this beautiful picture of how faith can play out in all of our lives it starts with something so simple, you don't even realize it's happening, and it ends with a change in who you are. If we go back to Matthew 1, verse 5, this is the one other place that Rahab is mentioned in Scripture, and it's the genealogy of Jesus. And so this is from, from the beginning all the way down, shows us the lineage of Jesus. And so I'm going to pull a sentence right out of the middle of that that's in verse 5 and the beginning of verse 6. And Salmon, the father of Boaz, by Rahab. And Boaz, the father of Obed, by Ruth. And Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of David the king. So, so the two things I need you to see is, one, Living this covenantal life for Rahab, it, it did more than save her. It participated in saving each and every one of us. And I also want you to see that when they list her here, she's no longer Rahab the prostitute. Because that covenant changed her relationship too. Now she's just Rahab. So, so the message, the thing that I want you to get is that the depth and power of God's love are not constrained by our decisions, good or bad. All we have to do is experience it and the covenant that results. Sorry, all we have to do to experience it and the covenant that results is let him lean in and live it out. It is a framework. It is the same framework that brought me to faith in Jesus. There is, there is, I hope, 
deep in my heart, I hope, there are people here who don't yet know Jesus. And if that is you, please allow me to simply encourage you. You don't have to understand it. You don't know how to, you don't have to know how to make it happen. You don't have to know how to fix it. All you need to do is let it happen. And as it does, you'll know how to lean in. I know there's a lot of us here who are already followers of Jesus. Probably who made that profession of faith 30 years ago. And if that's you, let this be a reminder. Right? Because that process never changes. The depth and power of God's love doesn't change. So whatever you have currently going on, whatever the, the uncertainty or the trial or the fear or the joy, whatever it is, just know that his love is driving it. And all you need to do is as he leans into you, lean into him. Let's pray. Lord, we don't have to fully understand how you work. We probably never could. But we know that the sacrifice that you made on Calvary, God, that that, that can never be undone and it can never be repaid. So God, help us to see these areas of faith in our life where we can let you act, where we can lean in to what you're doing and help us to continue to feel the depth and power of your love. We pray this in your name. Amen.